This is The Scoop, a podcast run by student journalists offering teenagers perspectives on the latest happenings. We hope to provide authentic conversations that allow a quick listen wherever you are. Welcome back. In part one, we discussed the coup at the Capitol on January 6th by pro-Trump forces following a rally near the White House where Donald Trump addressed his supporters and efforts to overthrow the presidential election. The riot that took place raised questions about the future of democracy, the legitimacy of the Republican Party, as well as holding officials accountable. Today, in part two, Chidima Nawafor, Claire Heschler, Kaya Jefferson, and United States history teacher Kathleen Niles continue on hope, the Biden-Harris administration, and where Donald Trump will take us next. From the Oracle, I'm London Sinclair, and this is The Scoop. The term mega-identity politics, which I believe I heard in a podcast or potentially an article, some time ago, and it's coined by a woman named Liliana Mason. And it refers to the way politics and parties such as Democrat and Republican are affiliating and absorbing what were previously non-political aspects of our culture. And so that's, you know, religion, gender, sexuality, race, and, and these mega identities fuel partisanship. And that actually brings me right back to a point Chidema made earlier which is democracy has shifted from power to the people to power to my people. So who are your people, right? And within these tribes, you have a very specific and limiting view of who your people are and who you choose to protect and and that tight-knit, very kind of individualistic mindset is what is what keeps us from growing as a collective. I was going to say I agree with what a lot of you said a lot of what you said, Miss Niles, and I feel like it's an issue that we've been talking about since Trump was elected, especially because his ideology has kind of formulated, I don't know if I would call it a new group, but it's definitely like a very aggressive following of whatever Trump says, and it's a kind of extreme version of conservative values or even values of the Republican Party, but I definitely think that Education and communication is definitely an issue that we have between parties. Yeah, exactly, Kaya. That that exactly like how I mean, there's this unleashing of a type of white supremacy that for a long time had been unacceptable in public circles, and and that seems to you know at least in this in in this corner. And I just I don't know quite how big the corner is, but. Uh, in that corner of the country that's that's been unleashed as something acceptable and and I don't know how I don't know how dialogue happened. like I don't know how you move forward through that I just don't using what Kaya was saying to frame another question I would ask is the Republican party legitimate and what do we do if we feel it's illegitimate to add some context to that, a lot of Republican officials stood by Trump throughout his presidency, and now what we're seeing is that the Republican Party is fracturing several officials, resigning, and people coming out against Trump, and 
And in, in response, Trump is almost siphoning his own party on the basis of Trumpism. Um, for me, it's not that I feel that the Republican Party is illegitimate. It's that I feel that it has changed so drastically just in the past 12 years and still not much time if you think about it. But I just feel like its core ideals or what I remember to be its core ideals have changed and it's more like more racist beliefs within the Republican Party. And I think that a majority of that is due to the fact that Trump kind of enhanced what I believe were deep-rooted racism within the Republican Party. And in relation to those that stuck with Trump for a long, long time, I would call them Trump supporters. Yes, Republicans, but Trump supporters. And I think it's really important that people note the difference between them. Because again, there are Republicans that do not support Trump, which is why I cannot say that the whole Republican Party is illegitimate. But I do believe that members of the Republican Party that do support Trump have moved from more traditional beliefs, I say that in quotes, to more racist and radical beliefs. Yeah, I agree. But at the same time, I just, oh my God, my dad's coming up again. I don't know why. He grew up in like the 60s and 70s. And so he has just told me a lot about, you know, being a teenager and then in his 20s growing up and kind of experiencing like what happened with Reagan and kind of you know, seeing how messed up some things got, especially for him. I remember him, he said to me a bunch of times, like he felt like there was a lot of progress being made um, and then things kind of just fell apart. Um, And I think that that's something a lot of people will see again with Trump is that a lot of people had this illusion of like, okay, well, we had a black president, everything's like good, no racism exists. And, you know, while Trump definitely did incite some of it and did indoctrinate a lot of people, especially young people, into racist beliefs and just exclusionary beliefs in general, there's so much of it that's already there. And I think that, like, my problem is that, like, I want to address Trumpism because of how much he has incited and the new ideas that have come out of him um, in his presidency. But I also think that there's a root to the problem that's removed from Trump and that, like, both kind of need to be addressed. One thing that's that I'm thinking of in what you just said, Claire, um, speaking of Ibram Kendi, um, we're talking about him in the 11th grade classes right now. And one of the things that he argues about racism is that he argues that, you know, racism starts from interests, interests create policies, and then the ideas develop to support the policies. And some of his kind of remedy way forward, I guess, rather than focusing on trying to change people's ideologies, instead to try to change the policies, because the, you know, the policies are the things that have the real impact upon people's lives. Um, And also the interests are the things that I think he thinks at the end of the day, very much matter. You know, if, if we can identify the interests or fears or desires, and that's what's leading me towards this particular ideology, right? Whether, you know, whatever it is, whether it's racist ideology or sexist or transphobic, instead of focusing on the ideology, kind of like, what's the fear there? What is it that you're worried about? What interest uh, do you feel is threatened? Um, And the other thing that I was thinking was uh, based on what Chidema was talking about, about the sort of role of Trump in the Republican Party. I remember reading a piece, uh, I think it must have been about four years ago, um, speculating that uh, we might be living through a party realignment 
And, and I think there might be something to that. I mean, I think that there's a lot of wrestling going on, not only within the Republican Party, but within the Democratic Party as well. You know, certainly like globalization has been something that has really cleaved both parties. Both parties have folks that have really benefited from free trade policies, from growth of multinational corporations, right? Like, they're, I mean, they're, they're sort of elites uh, in both parties, the haves, the, the folks who've been able to move forward since the 1990s, and then there are folks who really struggled. And this piece that I can't remember who the author was, because this was like four or five years ago, but uh, this, I remember this person was speculating, like, well, then, you know, there's a natural, you know, perhaps the Democrats become the party of the wealthy. Uh, and, that, you know, like you've got like, I don't know, Houston and Dallas oil executives partnered up with like tech people in Silicon Valley and the Hollywood elites and whatever. Uh, and then the Republican Party becomes kind of the working class, the folks, uh, you know, struggling um, to, to make it in this sort of globalist society. Uh, and this um, the author of the piece was saying the big stumbling block to that, especially in the would-be Republican coalition is race. That we have, uh, we have very rarely in this country successfully um, seen the, the working class unite across race lines um, in, you know, in service of their economic interests. Um, so maybe that's something to watch. Switching gears a bit, the overarching theme of the inauguration on January 20th was unity, harped by President Joe Biden, Senator Mitch McConnell, Amanda Gorman, and her poem, and a question being raised is, what is a call for unity without doing the work, without action and accountability backing those claims? How can the Biden-Harris administration condemn the white supremacy on display at the Capitol Hill riots and instead promote unity amongst this divided nation? Well, I mean, obviously, I'm pretty sure we all know what Biden has been doing within the first few weeks of his presidency. And not only reversing some of the executive orders that Trump had signed, but also taking immediate action on solving what's happening, what has been happening at the border and environmental issues. Um, Obviously, I have criticisms of Biden, but I do think that how he started off his presidency has given me hope towards a more inclusive government that's actually taking into consideration the rights of everyone in America, not just white people, not just wealthy people. Yeah, I think something I was looking out for after the inauguration was that things weren't just going to be symbolic and that it wasn't just like tokens of change and progress and unity, because I think especially in the Democratic Party, there is a lot of symbolism. And we saw a lot of that this summer with calls to like have mascots and different labels and names changed, which obviously is important. And I think that that is really base level. And I think that that's obviously really impactful. But at the same time, giving back to indigenous communities, giving like funding, education and different things in black communities will always be more important. And so I think that as long as that activism goes deeper than just like symbolic tokening gestures, that's when it becomes substantial. And so I am glad to have seen that it wasn't just uh, a symbolic unity that they were talking about and that they were prioritizing communities that are typically marginalized. And I just really hope that continues. And I think that that's something that, you know, especially the left needs to hold Biden accountable for is really just keeping to his word and listening to the people that got him elected. To like add on to Claire, I think that when talking about unity, it all 
goes back to immediate action. In the first few weeks, Biden has obviously stuck to his promise. And I just want that to continue throughout the rest of his four years as president. I know he has a really long list of things that he wants to do in in the first hundred days. But I feel like what's important is that he continues to make immediate and prominent change after the hundred days. Because kind of like Claire said, giving back to the Black community, giving back to um, low-income communities, investing money in education, taking money away from uh, the police force and putting it into other institutions that need that money, things like that throughout the rest of the four years, I feel like that can be one of the biggest ways to condemn white supremacy. Um, And one of the easiest ways for Biden to say, I don't agree with anything that has been done in the past four years. And I'm going to make sure that in my four years, I work to change that. Yeah, I think he, um, you He's taken some steps in the directions that you all are talking about. I mean, I'm thinking about, you know, recently the the executive action to try to reunite families that had been separated at the border. But of course, the, you know, what Biden himself can do is pretty limited. And so, you know, I think unity, I think as, as he was talking about it in the, like, you know, it was two weeks after the, the Capitol riot. And so I think a lot of that had to do with unity, um, you know, what we were talking about before, like trying to find a way forward across a partisan divide. And, and you know, ultimately that is going to be necessary in order to get some of those things, Chidima, that you just talked about, at least, you know, things that could be accomplished at the federal level, right? Like the federal government can't necessarily change like police forces and things like that. So what do we need to get that unity across, uh, across the aisle, as it were? I mean, to me, like the the first step is uh, in terms of accountability has to be the Republican Party taking accountability, particularly for, you know, some of the, I mean, I, I don't even know how much they have to take it, like <laughs> parts, a lot of the Trump presidency, but, you know, especially like, I think there's, there's a very clear uh, symbolic moment coming up um, with the impeachment. Um, and I think that that, that is a really important moment for, um, a moment when the Republican Party could take um, responsibility for, um, you know, uh, the untruths surrounding the election, uh, for, you know, enabling kind of the the, the rise of, of this, you know, particularly the the displays of um, kind of autocracy in like December and and into January, like you know that that's a very isolated moment. But the impeachment is one opportunity uh, where Republicans in the Senate, um, ha- you know, they, they can take uh, some responsibility. They can hold um, Trump accountable for that. And, and that might be a very important gesture for uh, unity moving forward. Yeah, I'm also thinking more symbolically, like you said, Miss Niles, but um, like just Having a mixed race, black and Indian vice president, um, who's also a woman, uh, is obviously a very historical moment. And obviously it's not going to maybe create laws and policies that help those um, marginalized communities that she is a part of. But I do think it is kind of a symbol of what this country can become. And the fact that we are 
all just people, but America has extreme inequality and racism. But I I mean, for me, it was just like a, a very happy moment to see someone who looked like me or who looked like my friends to be, you know, inaugurated as the vice president of a huge and important country in this world. Yeah, I, I totally hear that, Kaya, that that's um, those things like that may be symbolic um, and still are powerful and important. You know, Trump's departing words were, we will be back in some form, which it almost made me laugh. It is making me laugh now. And how are your feelings from the 2016 election and 2017 inauguration guiding your current emotions ambitions, apprehensions about the future, whether that's the future of Trumpism, the future of the Biden-Harris administration. Right now, in terms of the Biden-Harris administration, I'm feeling more hopeful compared to how I felt the day that I found out Trump would be our president for the next four years. Um, I guess that's really all I can say on that. But in relation to Trump's era, I know that even though Biden has taken office and even though changes are being made already, Trump, unfortunately, is not gone. His impact over the four, over the past four years was so vast and large that even though he's not um, in office anymore, his presence and his beliefs are still so ingrained um, in America. So I'm fully aware of the fact that the next four years, yes, I'm hopeful and yes, I expect change. And yes, I'm happy that Biden um, is our new president. At the same time, I'm not kind of like overly optimistic because I know that there are people like 70 million people, 70 million plus people still did vote for Trump. You know, at the end of the day, there are still a large majority of people who wanted to see Trump back in office. And obviously they didn't get their wish. wish, So I don't think that they're just going to kind of like leave it at that. Um, So unfortunately for the next four years, I am expecting to see Trump in some shape or form again. At the same time, I'm still hopeful, especially since um, I feel like this is kind of a win for Black people specifically. Yeah, I think, like Chidima said, you know, moderating my hope while still allowing myself to be glad to some extent that Trump is out of office and that, you know, with the work that Biden has done, even just in these first couple of weeks that like protect me, protect people I really care about and just protect minorities in general, um, there is celebration to be had, um, but also just making sure to keep that in check, especially if we want huge policy changes that, you know, may be unrealistic, but just working towards change in any way we can and being able to appreciate, like Kaya said, the symbolic moments um, while also still like pushing for change. And this is the first time where like someone that I identify with their party, I guess, um, is in office because I was very young when Obama was in office. Well, not super young, but I just wasn't like... um, politically active. And so it is big to me that I feel like there's a lot of work to be done on the left. Whereas like during Trump, it was kind of hard to really have that same hope that people would listen to you. Yeah, I think um, I, uh, I would say, 
I say this and I, I'm afraid it's going to sound like hokey, but <laughs> um, I, one of the things that really makes me hopeful is how engaged and ultimately optimistic my students are. And when I say optimistic, what I mean is I, I think that I, I think that at least the young people that I talk to have a very strong sense of their own efficacy. Um, they have a, a, a genuine conviction that, uh, that, that they're capable of making change in their society. And, and that makes me very hopeful. I mean, that to me is one of the places where democracy lives. Um, you know, I think what the Trump presidency um, represents is, you know, Chidima, I take your point, and I, I agree with you that Trump certainly exacerbated and, uh, you know, is an important figure and, and, and the head of an important phenomenon. But he also, you know, he just sort of brought things out into the open that were already there and made it um, acceptable to say and do things that, uh, that were already around. And so, I, so there's a, there's a lot of work to be done. And as I, I think I've said a bunch of times in here, I, to me, the, the nut that I can't quite crack is this question about how we listen to each other in a democratic society and how we talk to each other. Um, and I think what's hard, the, the nut that's hard for me to crack is um, the, the sense that there is questioning about the validity of of individual people's right to exist. And so how you have a dialogue, if there's a, you know, if, if people are fundamentally feeling like other Americans don't believe that they have a right to, to, to exist and to be part of that society, that is the, the problem of democracy that I'm most concerned about. And that I just, I don't know how you have dialogue if, if that's happening in the society. And you were saying, you know, you're, the students bring you hope and your classes bring you hope. I was just thinking about how this conversation, listening and learning from the four of you has been such a great experience. And I'm so happy that I was able to pull this together and have the four of you speak. Yeah, well, thank you, London. I really loved uh, being in a, sharing a space and a conversation uh, with the three of you. Really, um, it was just super treat and, um, and thank you for the conversation, everybody. Yeah, I feel like I've learned like so much here. So thank you, everyone. If you liked the sound of this episode, subscribe to The Scoop Podcast. It's free. Starting this school year, we'll be chatting with you and giving the daily scoop on life at Archer. If you're new to all things podcasts and need more info on how to listen, we are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and the Oracle website, archeroracle.org. Stay safe, stay healthy, stay strong. See you next time.